Amen. Uh, tonight was the first night we were starting uh, different classes uh, going on. We have what's going on here, and we also have healing school going on in our back modular building. And so if you came here and registered for the um, uh, registered for the healing class, I encourage you, you can go ahead and you can you can get back and to the back modular. And, and, and uh, they're, they're just, um, well, I'm sure they're about 20 minutes in now. But if you want to go next week, you can go as well. Just because you registered doesn't mean you have to go to every every class, but encourage you. You know, it just uh, be an in-depth teaching on just God's will to heal and God's desire uh, in the covenant that's been made available for healing. And so I encourage you to and make yourself available to, to that. But tonight in here, we're going to continue talking about living uncommon. Say that, living uncommon. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. I'm going to have you turn to two places as we begin tonight. Acts chapter 10, and then you can go ahead and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. So Acts chapter 10 and Hebrews chapter 5. And Wednesday night, so our heart, one of the things that, say, our, our heart, one is... Why we exist, there's this hurting people outside these walls, loving for me. What we're called to do is make winners in life. How we accomplish that is bringing people to a place where they experience God. Secondly, where people are equipped with the word. And in third, where people engage themselves to be an influence in the, to the world around them. And, and so this, this, the second thing, being equipped with the word. That's why we're so, so big on teaching the word and, and introducing different classes or having thrive groups and um, having victorious adults, chariots of light, you, you know, the young adults. Everything comes about because our desire is for every person that's a part of this house for them to be experience God. I don't want you to experience Justin. I want you to experience God. That's, that's the most important thing. And then secondly, I want you to be equipped with the word because it's in the word we, we, our lives are changed. It's in the word we, we get to know God. It's in the word where we see and, and, and be able to embrace our true identity. It's in the word where we'll find our purpose and we'll discover everything that God has for us. But it all has to be based on the word. And in Acts chapter 10, and this is how I kicked off the series. Acts chapter 10 verse 15 says... And the voice spoke unto him again the second time, What God hath cleansed, that call not thou common. Amplified says, And the voice came to him again a second time, What God has cleansed and pronounced clean, do not you defile and profane by regarding and calling common and unhallowed or unclean. You know, we have a tendency that we too often measure our lives by our weaknesses, by our past mistakes and by past experiences, even though we may be born again, we choose to measure our lives through our experiences or through our failures. And if we measure our lives by our past, it will hinder us from truly stepping in to our true identity. And here in this particular scenario here, the, uh, uh, God's talking to Peter 
an angel visits him and, and, and th- there was this mentality of the separation between the Jew and the Gentile. And that, that, that we are the Jews and we are, we are God's people, but yet we're going to look down on the Gentile, which aren't God's people. And so ultimately what, what, what Peter thought of all Jews looked at people like you and I as, as, as dogs, so to speak. I mean, less than. And so there was this mindset that, that, that God was trying to get across to them. It wasn't, it wasn't about the food. It wasn't about the food and the vision that he was having and seeing the animals being come down from heaven. That, that was, the point was don't call common what God calls uncommon. Don't call common what God calls uncommon. Peter thought the Gentiles to be, be just common, less than, than himself. But God said, don't, don't do that. Don't do that. And I want to encourage each one of us here. You are a child of God. If you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you are a child of God. If you haven't made Jesus, Jesus the Lord of your life, he loves you just as much as he loves me. Jesus said, the same love that the Father has for me, he has for you. So as much as the Father loved Jesus, in the same way God loves you and the person you're sitting next to. So let's go to Hebrews chapter 5. You are not just anything. You are fearfully and you're wonderfully made. Ephesians 2 tells us that we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. You're his workmanship. You're his creation. You're his masterpiece. And I, I know that God is a, uh, one of the things, one of the messages that this ministry was founded on 52 years ago, uh, coming up February 11th, it was the statement of God is a master at making champions out of nobodies. That's what Dr. Savell has established his ministry on 52 years ago, that he's a master at making champions out of nobodies. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Hmm. Just hold your place in Hebrews 5. I just feel like I need to read this other scripture first. 1 Peter chapter 2. Thank you, Lord. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2 says, As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you may grow thereby. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word, that you might grow thereby. So, when you first get born again, you would be, you'd be classified as a newborn babe. This, this isn't referring to someone that just, a baby that just came out of the womb. Because we know, and if you read in First Peter, he's talking about being born again and that, that re- receiving that, incorrupt, that incorruptible seed. And, and it goes on as newborn babe. So as you've received this new life, as you, as you are a newborn, what is it saying? Desire the sincere milk of the word. Desire the word, desire the word, because it's in the word, your life is going to grow. It's in the word, your life is going to be changed. But oftentimes that as you know, and I'm, I'll speak just for myself. When I first got born again, 
I kept hitting a lid in my life and I kept going back to the things that God had delivered me from. I kept going back into the same bondages. I kept going back and having the same mindset because I didn't really understand what it meant to renew my mind. I didn't really understand on how, how do I change a behavior that I've had for, for, for my entire life? How, how does this happen? Well, because, because I kept putting my experience and my failures ahead of God's word. Because if you don't, if you don't really allow the word, because, because the word is sent to change us. The word is sent to bring definition to the life of, of a believer. Now let's look in Hebrews and just laying a foundation here and we'll get into some things. Verse 11, and I'll read this in the Amplified. Hebrews 5, verse 11. He says, concerning this, we have much to say, which is hard to explain, since you have become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful in achieving spiritual insight. So what do we see here? The, the person here that he's referring to, they're hitting a lid in their life. They're hitting a lid in their life and, 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 and they, they, they can't go beyond that lid. Why? Because it says they're, uh, King James says it this way, they're dull of hearing. They're dull of hearing. They're dull of hearing. Meaning, meaning they're, you know, you can be in a room and you can hear something, but not hear something. You can hear noise. You can hear me talking right now, but sit there and all you hear is wah, 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 wah. And you know what? You can come to a church on a, on a, on a, on a Sunday or Wednesday or go to, go to a, a seven day, a four service a day convention and, and not hear what you need to hear. You can hear, but not, but yet be dull of hearing. Then verse 12 says, for when for a time, let me go back to the Amplified. For even though by this time you ought to be teaching others, you actually need someone to teach you over again the very first principles of God's word. You have come to need milk, not solid food. Now, what in first Peter says, what as newborn babe desire the sincere milk of the word that you might grow. Now here, here we're saying that they weren't changed because they were dull of hearing. And he says, you need to go back. Why? Because you need to go back concerning these first things. You need to go back and you need someone to teach you over again the first principles the first principles. What I want to deal with tonight was, was really what I want to deal with tonight is something that I wish I had heard the day I got born again, because I struggled in my life because even though I was in church and I was hearing the word, I still needed someone. I still didn't know the basic principles. I didn't really know the basics of certain things. Yeah, I might be able to quote some scripture, but yet, yet the scripture I was quoting has it become a part of my life? Has it has it changed my decision making process? Has it changed how I treat other people? Has it changed how I see myself? And the next verse says this: For everyone who continues to feed on milk is obviously inexperienced. And unskilled in the doctrine of righteousness. 
The King James says, for everyone that uses milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness. How do you see yourself? See, the word ultimately is to shape my identity as a believer. Unskillful in the word of righteousness. If you don't know who you are in Christ, you will always struggle. If you don't know your true identity in God, you will always struggle. And that's what they're saying here. You need the, you need the first principles again. Why? Because you ought to be teaching others. You've been in this long enough, but you're unskillful in the word of righteousness. And if you're unskillful in the word of righteousness, then you don't truly know your identity. So how do you see yourself? Hallelujah. If I want to be successful in life, I'm going to have to know my true identity. What is identity? Identity, the, your identity is what? Distinguishing character. It is personality of an individual. You know, if I would have you pull out your driver's license and on that driver's license is what? Your ID. It's your government identity. And what is that going to do? It's going to tell me, you know, it's going to tell me your address. It's going to tell me your height. It's going to tell me your eye color. It's going to tell me your birth date. It's going to tell me your age. It's going to tell me, um, you know, all sorts of things. It can, it may be to tell me that you, you can drive, uh, 18 wheelers. It can give me all sorts of things by just looking at this one card that you're given. That is your ID. It's certain characteristics. It's got certain traits on it. And, and, and the thing is, is, is when you look in the mirror as it pertains to God, do you know what you look like? Do you have any idea? Do you have any ID? Who are you? Where are you going? What has God placed on the inside of you? So in our walk with God, we need to understand and embrace true identity. Most of the times when I messed up in my life or went backwards, it's because I either, pretty much because I really forgot my identity in God. And I, I would rather relate to the identity of my old self. Go to 2 Corinthians 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So we talked about living uncommon tonight. I'm going to talk about your righteousness. Second Corinthians chapter five. Well, let me, before I read that, just. Because partly, I guess some of my issue was I grew up in a denomination and nothing wrong with that. I'm not opposed to that by any stretch of the imagination. But yet, I, I grew up hearing things, even though I wasn't truly born again. I grew up um, going to church, and there was 
uh, a premise that was constantly, even I remember going to youth group, I remember going to youth camps and all those things. And I remember this concept, even though when I truly got born again, I couldn't get, get away from this seed that was sown in my heart. And it, it was, and, it, and it's a, it's, it's a, it's a seed that comes from a religious spirit. And the seed, and when I say seed, I'm talking about thought. What I was taught was no one's righteous, no, not one. And in the idea that I could never be righteous. And so there's this measuring scale of always trying to attain to something. And the only way that you could do that is if you do it through your works. But that's not what the kingdom of God is based on. If it had to do with our works, we would have never needed Jesus. If it was based on what Justin could do, Vic, we would have never needed Jesus. You would have never needed Jesus. So it's all, you know, when we have this mentality that, that I would see and, and I would hear that even after you, get, you got born again and you, you, came, you came to the altar and you received Jesus... And all of a sudden, when you backslide, so to speak, all of a sudden now you have where you didn't do anything to earn it the first time. All of a sudden now, after you're born again, you have this thing on the inside of you that I've got to earn this righteousness. And you have this constant, constant fight to try to attain to something that you already are. And I'll show you that in here just a moment. But in Second Corinthians chapter five. Verse, um, verse 11, actually, let's, for a second time, let's do 16. He says, consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a purely human point of view. And can I read that again? It says, consequently, from now on, we estimate and regard no one from a human point of view. So I could read it this way. We regard no one from a common viewpoint. Amplified says, in terms of natural standards of value. No. Even though we once did estimate Christ from a human viewpoint and as a man, yet now we have such knowledge of him, we know him no longer in terms of the flesh. Meaning we don't look at Jesus in the flesh anymore. Verse 37, therefore, if any person is in Christ, the Messiah, he is a new creation, a new creature altogether. The old previous moral and spiritual condition has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Now think about that. We no longer judge anyone after the flesh. But we do it every day. And probably we judge ourselves more. So we constantly view ourselves from this, this thing, this human flesh. But yet he said, he said, but you, therefore, if any person is in Christ, if I'm in Christ, I am a new creation. The old previous moral self has passed away. Behold, the new has come. I am not the old Justin any longer. I am a new creation. 
I'm a new creation. And yet we, we may make mental assent to that and we may hear that and we say, yes, I'm a new creation. But, but a lot of times when you experience things, all of a sudden you go back to this aspect and this idea of I'm judging myself according to my flesh. You're a new creation. You are something that never before existed. Never before existed. When you took in Christ and you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you are a new creation. Your old man is gone and your new man has come. You are, you are a new creation. Let's go to Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter one. Verse 26 and 27, if you're taking notes. The King James says, In God said, let us make who? Let us make who? In our image. Whose image? Our image. After our what? And let them have dominion over the fishes of the sea, over the fowls of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps upon the earth. So God created man in his what? Own image. In the image of God created he him, male and female, created he them. Let me read this in the message. It says, God spoke, let us make human beings in our image, make them reflecting our nature, So they could be responsible for the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, the cattle, and yes, earth itself. And every animal that moves on the face of the earth. God created human beings. He created them godlike, reflecting God's nature. He created them male and female. See, when it said he created us in his likeness, what does that mean? It means that word likeness in the Hebrew means exact duplication in kind. When he made us in his likeness, that means exact duplication in kind. You are created and you and I are made in God's class. I mean, we, we are just, just put, just, just put, just point at yourself like that. Just say, I'm an amazing creation. I mean, I mean, even you're so amazing that Psalms tells us that the angels are having a conversation. Angels are having a conversation. And then it says, says, who are, who is this that, that they've been made a little lower? Now, I, I believe because of religious understanding, they translate it as angels. But if you look up the original language and you define that word angels, it's Elohim. It says, it, it doesn't say we, we were made a little lower than angels. It said we were late made a little lower than Elohim, which Elohim is the creator of all things. And, and I wish I could talk about the names of God right now, but, but the whole point is, is he, they said this, he goes, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you would visit him? Why? Because they're seeing God communicate with Adam and Eve in the garden. And they're like, what is this? What is this thing called man that you want to have fellowship with, that you would visit him? 
I mean, it's so astounding to me. So you have to realize that we were created in God's image, in God's likeness. Go to Genesis 2, verse 7. Two verse seven says, and the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul. That word living soul, it actually is translated another speaking spirit. Meaning when he, he formed Adam and he stood him up and it breathed the breath of life into him, it said he became another speaking spirit. Meaning he became, God was saying, I made him in my likeness and now he's going to speak like me. He's going to live like me. And Adam and Eve, what happened? It said, if you read throughout the first three chapters of Genesis, it said, it talks about that they were clothed. They were clothed. You know, it's interesting that, that they were, they were naked and unashamed. But yet through other scriptures, we know that they weren't, they were naked naturally, but they were clothed with something. They were clothed with glory and they were clothed. The Bible says that man was clothed with glory and honor. And so when they sinned in the garden, when they sinned in the garden and, and they, they didn't die immediately. They, they, they didn't die immediately. It wasn't, it wasn't that, but, but they had, there was a spiritual death that took place. They, they, they were still there physically. They still had, they still had the same thing that you and I had. They had this flesh that we have to deal with. But what happened is they lost the likeness that made them like God the most. And that was the spirit. Now, see, the enemy is always out for your identity. He's out for your identity. We can see that with Adam and Eve. And I'm not going to take the time to, uh, to do it. I'll just tell the, tell the story, so to speak. And see, they were made, we already saw where they were made in the likeness and image of God. Yet here Eve is having a conversation with the serpent. And we know that it said Satan beguiled Eve, tricked Eve. And they're having this conversation and we don't know how long, how many times they had this conversation. We don't know how many days they talked about this. We don't know. There's not, there's not a lot of things that if you go to the book of Enoch and, and you read some things that's, that's not about that. You're like, where's the book of Enoch at? It's, it's not in here, but I believe there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of great teaching in the book of Enoch and, and it gives a lot of perception of what could have happened in the garden. But, but here there's, there's this reality that here Adam and Eve are having a conversation. Adam, I mean, Satan and Eve are having a conversation and Satan goes to Eve and says, has God really said? Has God really said that if you eat this, then you'll be like him? And all of a sudden, all of a sudden now Eve is doubting some things. She's doubting some things and, and it's like, maybe, maybe they were, she was already in the image of God, but yet Satan says, has God really said, see, the enemy is always wants to talk you out of your identity. He always, he wants you to forfeit your identity. Cause if he, if you forfeit your identity, you're forfeit, your you'll forfeit your strength to be what God's called you to be. 
We see the same thing with Jesus. Jesus gets baptized, goes under the water. He comes out and there's a voice from heaven that says, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. But then what happened? We know immediately, immediately it said that Jesus went into the wilderness and he was tempted for 40 days. And after the 40 days, then it says, then Satan came and tempted him. The only temptations weren't those three. This was 40 days. And it says, then Satan came to him after the 40 days. And what's the first thing that Satan says to him? Did God really say? Did God really say? No, actually, this is how he works. This is how Satan words. He goes, if you're the son of God. He's, he's questioning, if you're the son of God, turn these, turn these stones into bread. If you're the son, if you're the son of God. Well, wait a minute. It, there, was a, there was a voice from heaven that just told him that he was. If you're the son of God, turn these stones. What did Jesus say? It is written, man shall not live by bread alone, but every word that comes out of the mouth of God. What was the word that came out of the mouth of God? This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Why? What was he trying to do? Take away Jesus's sonship. Take away Jesus's identity. And if you can take away someone's identity, you can take away their purpose. You take away the purpose, they'll destroy their destiny. All with just a question. A lot of times you can analyze who's speaking to you is whether it's from God or whether it's from the enemy. Is it always trying to come against what you've already seen in the word? If you be the son of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord. You have to know that you're created in God's image. Satan is out for the image. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Go to Romans chapter 5. I'm just going to skip over a few things. That's why I'm taking my time. Romans chapter 5. What we need to be as believers, and I want this to become a familiar statement to you. And it's a statement. I am God inside minded. Let me say, say that with me. I am God inside minded. I am God inside minded. Say, I am God inside minded. See, we look, we, we have walked this Christian life and we look at this relationship with God as this man sitting in a big chair somewhere. Instead of realizing that this relationship is something that's personal. I am God inside minded. Romans chapter five, verse 12. Now look at this in just in just connection with what we talked about in Genesis. Wherefore, as by one man, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men 
for, for, for that all have sinned. So because of one man's sin, death, death passed upon all men because of what one man we're talking about Adam and Eve, right? They were the one, there was the, the one man. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed where there's no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. So let me say, nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over them that had not sinned after the same manner. So what does that mean? That means that even though they, you might, they, man didn't sin like Adam did, they still are living with this sin nature. They have a sin nature. Because of Adam, when you're born into the world, you have a sin nature. A sin nature. Verse 15, but not as the offense, so also is the free gift. So just in the same way that the offense did all these things, also is the free gift for if through the offense of one, many be dead, much more the grace of God and the gift of grace, which is by one man, Jesus Christ hath abounded unto many and not as it was by one that sinned. So is the gift for the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift of many offenses unto justification for if by one man's offenses, death reigned by one. I mean, death reigned the human nature because of one person. Much more, they that receive abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one Christ Jesus. Therefore, as by the offense of one, judgment came upon all men to condemnation. Even so, by the righteousness of one, the righteousness of one... The righteousness of one, the free gift came upon all men under justification. For as by one man's disobedience, many were made sinners. So by the obedience of one shall many be made righteous. So because of what Adam did, death came upon all man. But because of what one man, Jesus, did? Righteousness. Righteousness. Justification. What's an easy way to understand justification or justified? Just as if I never sinned. Just as if I had never sinned. Through one man's obedience shall many be made righteous. And years ago, I had to get a hold of this because I still had the religious thinking that I have to become righteous. That there's this, there's this formula, there's this thing, and if I do... X, Y, and Z for the next 20 years, then you know what? I can call myself righteous. But no, it says because of what one man did. It said many would be, it doesn't say many would become righteous. 
many would be made righteous. The moment that you made Jesus the Lord of your life, you were made righteous. And the moment that you got born again is the most righteous you will ever be. See, that will make the religious mind go tilt. Because religion would say, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to do, I've got to pray, I've got to fast, I've got to read, I've got to do this, and, and I've got to do that. No, you have to understand is, I don't fast to become righteous. Righteous people fast. I don't read the word more so I become righteous. No, I understand that righteous people read the word. See, it's a total shift in thinking. It's just the things that I do coming to church or reading the word and praying and praying in the spirit and, and pursuing God with all my heart is not so I become righteous. No, those are all the things that outflow of a righteous man's life. You know, Isaiah talks about and, and, and tells us then Romans three tells us this as well. It says, and this is where religion had got it. It says that your righteousness is as filthy rags. Has anyone told you that before? I remember I had this guy that I would work with and I, I wasn't grounded in the word yet. And, and I would talk about things like righteousness. I would talk about those things and he would say, well, you know, you know, you know, righteousness, your, your righteousness is filthy rags. And I'm like, man, gosh, my righteousness is as filthy rags. I'm my righteousness is filthy rag. I am, I am filthy. I'm filthy. Filth, filth. I'm filth. Um, my, my right is filthy. It's, I'm filthy. But then I got reading the word and I'm meditating the word. And, and he said, Justin, this has nothing to do with your righteousness. He was like, yes, in yourself, <laughs> your righteousness is as filthy rags. But but Justin, it's not based on your, it's not based on your righteousness. It's based on Jesus's righteousness. I, I, the moment I made Jesus the Lord of my life, I put on a robe of righteousness. You know, that, that prodigal son, the story of that prodigal son where he came home and the father met him with open arms. And, and what does it say that he put a ring on his finger? Put a, put a new robe on him. What does that represent? It represents identity. When he put the ring on him, it gave him identity. It gave him authority because a, a family would have a signet ring that represent where they belonged and who they were to. But the father said, put, put the ring on his finger, meaning give him an identity and put that, put that coat on him. Put that, put that garment on him that, 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 that has been made for him. Hallelujah. You are righteous. You have been made righteous. So when you fall, when you miss the mark, it's not about earning. It's about, you know, Proverbs says this. It says, it says a righteous man falls seven times. It says, though a man falls seven times. Then it says this, a righteous man will get up eight. So, don't, don't see how many times you can fall. That's not the point. 
The point is realizing who you are because when you are convinced of who you are, falling will be a thing of the past. Most of the time we continue to fall because we still, we, as Corinthians says, we still judge ourselves after the flesh instead of judging who we are in Christ. Thank you, Father. Go back to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Because of Jesus, I've gained a brand new identity. Romans chapter 5. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Getting something out of this tonight. So that last part of verse 7 says, I'm a new creation. Old has passed away. Behold, the fresh and new has come. Verse 18 says, but all things are from God, who through Jesus Christ reconciled us to himself. Reconciled us to himself, received us into favor, brought us into harmony with himself, gave us, gave to us the ministry of reconciliation, that by word and deed, we might aim to bring others into harmony with him. Meaning now that I've been made this new creation... And I made this new creation and I'm not judging according to the flesh. I've been reconciled to God. It says I should bring other people with me. Verse 19, it was God personally present in Christ, reconciling and restoring the world to favor with himself, not counting up and holding against men their trespasses, but canceling them and committing to us the message of reconciliation You know what the message of reconciliation is to the world? Is God is not counting your sins against you. Do you know the message of reconciliation is that the world needs to hear that God is not counting your sins against you. He put every sin, every sickness and every disease on Jesus. That's why when he looks at you or looks at someone that's not even born again, he's not judging them according to their sin. The only way that they will not make their way into heaven is when they reject Jesus. Because Jesus is the only answer to their sin. Jesus is the only answer for them to wear the the robe of righteousness. And verse 20 says... Now then, we are ambassadors of Christ. As through God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. Amplified says, so we are Christ's ambassadors. God making his appeal as it were through us. This appeal through us. Something's coming from us. That we as Christ's personal representatives. This is Amplified beg you for his sake to lay hold of the divine favor now offered to you and be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made Christ to be sin. He made Christ to be sin who knew no sin. He didn't know sin, but God made him sin. So that in and through him, we might be made, King James says, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. For he that didn't know any sin, Jesus didn't know any sin. He knew no sin, but we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I am made righteous in him. You are made righteous in him. God loves you just as much as he loves Jesus. You are just as righteous as you will ever be. So choose tonight to live out of that righteousness. Now, let me close with this. First Peter chapter three, I believe it is. First Peter chapter three. Thank you, Father. I wrote this definition down and, and I don't know where, where I might have heard this or is what is righteous? What is righteous? Well, we, we've defined it this way, that it is the right to stand before God without the sense of fear, guilt, or condemnation. But I like this as well for righteousness. What is righteousness? It is something that is something that it ought to be. It's something that ought to be. Like this is a bottle of water. It's what it ought to be. So when something's right, it's what it ought to be. When something is right, it's what it ought to be. If if you answer a question on a test and it's a wrong answer, then it, you, you mark the wrong answer. It's not what it ought to be. But when you make something, when you choose the right answer, it's what it ought to be. So when you step into your righteousness, you are what you ought to be. Does that make sense? Hadn't seen, seen it quite like that before. But first Peter three, 18, the amplified says this. It says, for Christ, the Messiah himself died for our sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous, the just for the unjust, the innocent for the guilty. Thank you, Father. Now think about that. For Christ himself died for sins once for all. Christ was the righteous one, but he did it what? For the unrighteous. Christ was the just one, but he did it for the unjust. Christ was the innocent one, but he did it for the guilty. And so, so that, why did he do this? So that he might bring us to God. In his human body, he was put to death, but he was made alive in the spirit. Hallelujah. But for us, it's reverse. We are in our body, but yet in our body, we're made alive in the spirit. Jesus had to die for us. So that we, in our natural body, could make, be made alive in the Spirit. Hallelujah. Thank you, Father. For Christ died for our sins once and for all. The righteous for the unrighteous. This is the great exchange. We are not old sinners saved by grace. You can't be both. I'm righteous. I'm a righteous man that was saved by grace. Or actually, the phrase is this, you know, I'm, I'm a sinner, but I'm saved by grace. 
No, I'm not a sinner anymore. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm righteous. Hallelujah. Father, we thank you for your word tonight. And I thank you that as we look into your word, James says we look into a mirror. And it says as we look into that word, it says we behold ourselves in a mirror and it shows us our true identity. I thank you by the Holy Spirit tonight and by the word. I thank you, Lord, that that they see, we see ourselves in our true identity tonight. Because as we see ourselves in this true identity, it will cause us to live uncommon. We will live life on a whole nother level when we truly see ourselves in our true identity. And that is I'm righteous. Father, I thank you for causing us to be God inside minded. Lord, I declare over every single one of us tonight, I declare that they are God inside minded. I declare that they are the righteous of God in Christ Jesus. I declare that they have fresh insight and they understand that their old man is gone and their new man has come. I thank you for a strength, strength to flow in them and through them. I thank you for branding on their spirit, man, this phrase, I am righteous. Anytime that they're tempted, anytime that they fall, anytime they make a mistake or go backwards, I thank you, the Holy Spirit, that you will remind them of this phrase, I am righteous. And they would recognize that that it's not their righteousness, but they yield to the righteousness that's found in Jesus. We thank you for it tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. You receive this word tonight. Well, give him a shout of praise for the word. Amen. Thank you, Father. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord, for the word.